This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, good morning. Glad to see you out already. Bless all of you. Listen, if you need a Bible, get your hand up real quick with me, and we're going to take off here this morning. I encourage you to get a Bible. I'm going to go to a bunch of Scripture. If you got your Bible, or when you get it, go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 23. Luke 23, and as we're turning there, I encourage you to keep praying for your ones that are pinned up here on this board. I mean, I believe every one of us in here have loved ones that need to receive Jesus, and so pray for them. Get real bold and bring them to church with you next week. You know, the Lord Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. And, you know, one side of every one of us in my own life, it would be a really good thought for Jesus to be coming back tomorrow and get us out of here. Truthfully, I've asked him not to do that because there's too many people that need to get born again. And that needs to be our heart prayer. You know, they say right now in the world, the easiest place to get born again is in the nation of Iran. But there's a man of God who was Muslim who got born again. They're satelliting him in there, and they are having revival in Iran. The worst place, or one of the worst, not exactly the worst, but one of the worst, percentage-wise of people getting born again, is the United States of America. More people are leaving the things of God than coming to the things of God. And so when I hear those things, I say, man, let's pray. Let's begin to believe God for these family members, and let's stand unlike any other time. And so we're going to take off today, and we'll set the table here. Luke 23, verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. Now that place called Calvary is another reference to that word is Golgotha, the place of the skull because it looked like a skull. And so this is what happened to Jesus. Now understand this. This was Jesus' destiny. He knew the day was coming. This is where he would be. You know, the thing for every one of us in here, if Jesus doesn't come back in your lifetime, you're going to die. Not if, but when. But in Jesus' life right here, he knew how he was going to die. And so this is where he goes. And so I want to take you on a little bit of a journey today that looks at Jesus' last five days on this earth from... Palm Sunday till Good Friday. Now, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 12. John 12, and we're going to begin to dive into this and look and try to fill in some blanks here. This is one of these things that, man, in preparing for this, I I literally have thousands of thoughts the Lord has brought me. And I, I can say this, in the last two years, God has begun to give give the body of Christ incredible revelations. Things that the scripture will just jump out now. And I believe this is what God's wanting us to see. So John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast. Now, this was the feast of tabernacles. This was the feast of all feasts among the Jews. Something that they did yearly. And this was a week-long feast. And man, they would get together and they would eat and they would dance and they would shout before the Lord. So This was a great multitude that had come to Jerusalem for this. And when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees 
Now, the palm tree has always been, or the branch even, has always been a reference of victory. If you see how they're shaped, the V here, this is what they were meaning. So they took branches of the palm trees, and they cried out to him. The Amplified says they kept shouting out to him, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Verse 14, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. And as it was written, he said, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. So the journey this morning will lead us from things that occurred in the Old Testament, whether prophecies that became alive in the New Testament. So much of this morning, you're going to see how the Old Testament shadowed the New Testament. And in Zechariah 9.9, Zechariah the prophet said that the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, would come strolling in on a donkey. And this was the fulfillment of it. And so for generations, literally thousands of years, this was the Jews' cry, Hosanna, blessed is he comes in the name of the Lord. But understand, when Jesus comes strolling in on this donkey like he did, this was the fulfillment. This was no longer a, a prophecy this was the reality. This is him. And this is one of the reasons we celebrate Palm Sunday. Now, go with me to the book of Psalm 118. This is where it's cross-referenced at. It takes us to Psalm 118. And I'm only going to read two, two verses there. Psalm 118, verse 25 and verse 26. Verse 25. Now, this was their prayer at the Feast of Tabernacle. This was what they would pray. Save now, I pray, O Lord. Save now. So their heart was, Father God, save us, save us, save us. And this had been the cry for generations. And then it said, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Prosperous. Make us successful in every arena of life. And so what they would do on this feast, they would take these palm branches and they would face the north, the east, the west, and the south. And in each direction, they would wave those palm branches and they would say, save now, O God. I say, save now. I pray, prosper now, O God. Prosper now. And when Jesus came strolling in on that donkey that day, that was the fulfillment of all they had prayed for all these generations. And it goes on to say in verse 26, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. And so their prayer has now become our experience. We get to live it. We get to receive salvation and understand God wants you to be saved and God wants you to prosper in every area of your life. So this was what took place on Jesus' Sunday before he was crucified. Monday rolls around. Jesus strolls into the temple and he cleanses the temple. He removes the money changer's table and he says this in essence. Do not prostitute my house. Tuesday comes around and Jesus gives the great commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. His Wednesday looked like this. 
A lady named Mary anoints him with a really costly perfume for his burial. Thursday shows up. He eats the Passover supper with his disciples. Right here is when he initiates the Lord's Supper. And he said, as often as you eat and drink of the the cup and eat the bread, do it in remembrance of me. And then Jesus goes to a garden called Gethsemane. And that's where he's betrayed. I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, and the reason we're going to Genesis 3 Because Jesus' journey started in a garden. A garden called the Garden of Eden. With a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. And there was a serpent, the devil, Lucifer, Satan, who deceived them. And when they gave in to his deception, how he did them, it unleashed on all humanity grief and shame Sickness, poverty, and death. And every human being that's, that's born into this world is born with that nature. And God didn't like it. He didn't like at all what had become of humanity. So we start in Genesis 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, the devil, because you have done this, You are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. In other words, God will execute his judgment upon you. Speaking to the devil. And he said, and on your belly you shall go and you shall eat the dust all the days of your life. And God warns him, there will be humiliation for what you did to my children. And then he said, and I will put enmity, I will put conflict between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. Now understand this passage right here. This is the first messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. And look what is said at the end of verse 15. He shall bruise your head. Speaking of one named Jesus. I love the thought right there where the Lord prophesied. And he said, this coming king, the one who had strolled into Jerusalem on a donkey, he shall bruise your head. Same chapter, chapter 3, verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin, and he clothed them. And what happens here is Adam and Eve, they they made a vain attempt to, to cover themselves by sewing together fig leaves. But it was no good. It was to no avail. And so right here, Father God steps in, and the order he provided came through a sacrifice. And if you look there, it said God made tunics of skin. Where did that skin come from? It came from a lamb that was sacrificed. And throughout history, the only way that a sacrifice is is come forward to God is through atonement, which means it pleases God was by the blood. There had to be blood. And so right here, the atonement for Adam and Eve's sin that would please God, that would satisfy God, came through the blood of a lamb. Keep moving with me to Genesis 12. 
Genesis chapter 12. And so the history of mankind goes on. And mankind gets worse. They start living in sin more and more and more. And we look in Genesis 12, the last part of verse 3, and it says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God right here, He raises up a man named Abraham. And I want you to hold fast to the words He said, In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not a few, but all of them. So this man named Abraham who becomes in covenant with God, he gets married to a woman named Sarah, and they have this son named Isaac, which meant laughter. And God began to move through the family right here, the very institution of the family that God ordained. And we turn to Genesis 22 right now. And stuff begins to take place rapidly through this man named Abraham. And it says in verse 22, chapter 22, verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Now watch some of these phrases here, because he said, Take now your only son whom you love. That should sound familiar to us as believers because in John 3, 16 it said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so you begin to see the shadow of what would take place in the Old Testament was exactly what would come forward in the New Testament. So He tells him, Take now your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So He tells him, Go to this mountain called Moriah. And this mountain was known as a land that was called Scene of Jehovah. In other words, God had His eye on this place called the land of Moriah, the hills of Moriah. This place called Moriah would later be known as Jerusalem. And that mountaintop right there the very highest point went to 777 meters. And if you ever study the number seven, and you can look back in Revelation, there's a passage that talks about the seven, the seven, the seven, which represents it's completed. So he takes him to this highest point on this place called the Mount of Moriah. And in the process of time, they build a quarry on top of that mountain. And they would take the stones out of that quarry and they built the walls at Jerusalem. Later on, that quarry began to take the shape of a skull called Golgotha, Calvary, the place where Jesus would be crucified. And so... The Lord tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice him. So Abraham and his son Isaac, they go up to the hill. And we pick up in Genesis 22, verse 7. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father. And that phrase right there is used over and over in the New Testament when Jesus would refer to my father. And Isaac said, 
Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And when Abraham spoke this, this was a prophecy that wouldn't be fulfilled for 2,000 years. And he said, God will provide for himself the lamb. Same chapter, verse 13. And Abraham gets ready to stab his son Isaac, and the Lord's uh, angel steps in and says, don't do it. Verse 13 said, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. The Lamb of God named Jesus. 2,000 years later, his head was caught in a thicket also called the crown of thorns. And you begin to see that throughout Scripture, whether it's in Genesis 3 or right here in Genesis 22, God always used a lamb. Go with me to the book of Exodus chapter 12. In our journey as we keep going along here, and so we fast forward. And God is grieved. His children are in bondage in a place called Egypt to a king named the Pharaoh. And God raises up this man of God again named Moses. And he says, you go tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said to God, when I tell this man that, who do I tell him sent me? And God said, you tell him, I am that I am sent me. And so Moses shows up and he obeys God. And this Pharaoh's heart was so hard that he wouldn't let him go. And so God initiates plague after plague after plague. And they still won't let him go. And after nine plagues, the Lord tells Moses, I got one more plague. And I will unleash the spirit of death. And he will go throughout the, the, the nation of Egypt. And he will kill all the firstborn of every family with one exception. This is where we pick up in Exodus 12, verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this morning, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, lamb for a household. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Sounds kind of like Jesus, doesn't it? You may take from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6, Now you shall keep this lamb until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Now i got to highlight the word twilight. Because the word twilight right there means... Halfway between 12 noon and 6 in the evening. 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And when Jesus came out of the garden of Gethsemane and he was betrayed, they beat him over and over. 
at 12 noon on that day. They crucified him. At 3 o'clock, twilight, Jesus died. See, you begin to see the shadow. How God was setting everything up. Not by coincidence or accident, but there was always purpose. And so verse 7 says, And they shall take some of the blood, and they'll put it on the two doorposts, on the lintel of the house where they eat it. And in this passage, God instructs them that when they eat the lamb, they were not to break a bone in his body. And even when the Lord Jesus was crucified and they brought him down from the cross, not a bone was broken. So we pick up in verse 12 of Exodus 12. It says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you and on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now when he informed the whole congregation of what they were supposed to do, he didn't force any of them to do it. It had to be their choice. But that night as the angel of death came through, the only thing that would save them was the blood of the Lamb. It didn't matter your last name. It didn't matter where you were born, who your parents are. It didn't matter how much money you had, your titles, your achievements. The only thing that mattered on that night were you under the blood. The significance once again of the blood of the Lamb. So now we fast forward real quick. And we go into the New Testament to the book of John chapter 1. God raises up this man named John. Who was sent to bear witness of Jesus. And he begins to cry out and say repent for the kingdom of God is near. And they begin to ask him, and they said, Are you the Christ? And he said, I am not. I'm not worthy even to loose the strap on his sandal. And we pick up in John 1, verse 29. Then the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And so the prophecy that the man Abraham gave in Genesis 22, 8, where he said, God will provide himself a lamb, is now fulfilled in this. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God that what? Takes away the sin of the world. The only way there's atonement for me and you sin is through the blood of Jesus. Once again, he never intended for mankind, me and you, to sow fig leaves on us and try to hide our sin and try to cure it ourselves. The only way is through the blood of Jesus. It's not about how good you've been, how bad you've been, how righteous you think. It's only about the blood. The same as the Passover when that took place. The blood of Jesus. 
You know, several years ago, me and Shelly were in Austin, Texas. I was doing a funeral there. I have to go to the funeral, and it's 8 o'clock in the morning, so I get caught in the rush hour in Austin. And I'm having to make this turn, and I realize, and the only way you would know which lane to actually be in is if you lived there and you knew that. Well, I wasn't in the right lane, not even close. Now, God has given me a great gift called improvising. Some of you say, I have that gift. Some of you didn't know that was a ministry or a gift, did you? And Shelley said, what are you going to do? And I said, hang on, dear. I have a pet peeve that anytime I drink coffee or I drink iced tea, I never have a lid on my cup. It ruins the taste. If you ever see me with a lid on my cup, Shelly's put it there. I have a white shirt on, just one white shirt. And so I realize as traffic is coming at me going 70 mile an hour, I've got to whip a you. And so in all my brilliance, I take that cup and I stick it in my mouth and I bite it. And I was so happy that I beat all the traffic. But the cup failed me. And not just a little bit of coffee went on me. It went all over my whole shirt. Soaked me. Now, a lot of you men can identify with that. It's just a man thing. And my wife looked at me and said, what are you going to do now? And I said, I'm going to go to a funeral. Because I knew that every man in the building, when they saw my shirt that way, they'd say, I can identify with him. What's my point? It doesn't matter if it's one little drop, two little drops, or your entire shirt gets soaked with sin. The only stain stick to sin is the blood of Jesus. And I can't force you to come under the blood. I don't want to force you. It's got to be your choice, just like the Israelites' choice to say, I'm going to put the blood over the doorpost because, listen, as that night in Egypt, judgment was executed... There will come another day when judgment will be executed here on earth. And God won't ask, have you never sinned? Are you perfect? Where do you work at? How many degrees do you have? What's your time? Who's your mama? None of that's going to matter. The only thing that will matter is am I under the blood of Jesus? Now go with me to Revelations chapter 7. We're going to try to wrap this dude up here today. And so you've seen here real quick, we've gone from the start of the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelations. We've been from the start of creation to Adam and Eve. 
Here we are at the end. Now watch this in verse 9 of Revelation 7. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues standing before the throne. Now what that represents, the great multitude, is all the redeemed, all the people throughout history. Throughout history. And he said, they will all be standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed with white robes, which means I am the righteousness of God of Christ because Jesus, the great bloodstain remover. He's the only one who can take sin and in their hands with Palm trees, palm branches. I guess we can't carry a palm tree, but we can carry a palm branch. And so guess what? We're going to be standing in heaven. We're going to be decked out in white because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And we'll be standing there. And you know what we'll be doing? Victory, 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 victory. So the cry, the cry of the Jew for generation, save now, oh God. I say save now is now fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Keep reading. And crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and once again unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders, the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom. Thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever and amen. You want to know what's going to go on in heaven? Right there. We're going to be saying to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever. And he goes on to say, verse 13, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where do they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. It's always been about a lamb. We go to the book of John, or book of Matthew, chapter 16. The Lord Jesus was sitting around with his disciples, and he said, Boys, who do men say that I am? Some say you're a prophet, some say you're a priest, some say you're John the Baptist. But then he asked them a, an eternal question, not a million dollar question, an eternal question. And he said, But who do you say I am? Who, who do you say? It doesn't matter what they, it matters only who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. And Jesus responded and said, blessed are you, Peter Barjona. Blessed are you because Jesus identified who he was to him. And that will be the only question he'll ask me and you. Who does your mom say that I am? No, who do you say that I am? See, that's the question today. Who do you say I am? And to answer and say, Jesus, I welcome you as Lord of my life. You're saying, I come under the blood of Jesus. I come under your blood today, Lord. 
Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.